I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. What's up, all my fellow mourners of diet culture? It is I, Emily Lubin, the Grim Reaper and the host of this show. Welcome to RIP Diets, episode 13. I'm pretty sure that's correct. I'm going to start losing count soon. I am going to read a gorgeous review that somebody wrote for this podcast. Um, I'm going to continue reading reviews as the particularly fire ones roll in. So please, guys, continue to write iTunes reviews. It really does help out the show. It helps people find the show. Um, And if I have an impressive iTunes rating, people are more likely to listen. And those are the hard facts of life. This review was written by Elizabeth House. (laughs) I hope it's okay that I said your name, but that is your username on here. And here's the review. Did I just listen to all 11 episodes of RIP Diets available in the last 24 hours? Yes. Do I regret a moment of it? No. The podcast is amazing. If you're looking for frank discussions on how people perceive their bodies, how those perceptions have changed, and how they're healing from the wounds of diet culture, then this is the podcast for you. Emily Lubin shares her own experience with recovering from disordered eating and is a fantastic interviewer. Thank you so much for that review. Truly means the world to me, and I appreciate that you're liking the show. And I particularly enjoy the idea of you binging this show and listening to me talk for 12 hours straight. I'm sure that was quite an experience. I want to talk to you guys about um, this past weekend because I went on a little vacation, um, just a two-day vacation, but in my world that is a vacation. I could lie down and close my eyes on my rooftop for 10 minutes and that would be a vacation. Take your vacations as they come, people. You know, you you have a little time off. Spend some time outside. It's a vacation. I know we can't really travel anywhere, but I had to travel this past weekend because my best friend got married and, uh, You know, there was so much anticipation and uh, reluctance over the wedding, a lot of going back and forth because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And originally the wedding was supposed to have hundreds of people, but she somehow narrowed it down to 15 of her favorite people. And I was just so touched and so honored that I got to be there. But I did have to go to Rhode Island for it. And... I realized some things over this past weekend at the beach. I got to tell you, I realize new things every time I travel because traveling used to be a huge trigger for me when I was in the throes of my eating disorder. Beach trips and vacations in general were such a triggering thing for me because I would have instant anxiety when I was packing for my vacation about, oh, I'm not going to be able to work out or I'm, I'm not going to end up working out as much as I normally do, or, oh, there's going to be all this temptation. I'm not, we're going to be going out to eat. There was, it was just always such an anxious thing for me going away, even if it was only for a couple days. And it's so nice to be able to enjoy a vacation and not be worried about how much I'm working out or what I'm eating on vacation or getting quote, back on track after vacation, because that was definitely a thing for me. You know, I would always think, okay, yeah, I can enjoy this vacation. But as soon as I get home, I have to get back on track. I have to start controlling my food. I need to start regulating my exercise and really, you know, get back in that healthy, quote unquote, mode of living. And now I I really don't feel the need to do that anymore because, I am never off track. The whole concept of getting back on track implies that you're even on a track and by taking some time and enjoying your life and taking a vacation, that's you getting off track. But I do not see it that way anymore. And neither should you. You know, if if there are people listening to this who have those thoughts, just know they're completely normal. I could stress myself out 
for days before a vacation over the idea of, oh, how am I, how am I going to get back on track? Life is not a track. There are ebbs and flows in every aspect of your life, and that includes your eating. That includes your exercise. We want to aim for flexibility. We don't want to let our fear of losing control over our bodies dictate how good of a time that we have on vacation because that's what life is about. It's about taking time and enjoying your life and smelling the fucking roses. But we did go to the beach and... Obviously, the bride wanted to take pictures on the beach. She wanted to take pictures all day to remember the day. And I was thinking about how dreadful it was when somebody would suggest taking beach pics on the beach. I don't know if you can relate to this. But, you know, when I used to go to the beach and I'd be in my bathing suit and I'd be feeling a little insecure If a friend suggested we take photos, I would always be like, oh, why? Why? And, you know, it would just be a way for me to feel horrible about myself and feel more insecure. And then later I'd have to look back at the photos and be like, oh, do I really look like that? And it just was not something that I looked forward to at all. Fortunately, now that I've gone through recovery and I consider myself pretty stable and confident and comfortable in my body, it doesn't really bother me anymore. I I will post pictures in my bathing suit and I'll let people take pictures of me in my bathing suit. It's it's not something that's going to destroy me, but God, it used to destroy me. And I used to look back on those photos and just fixate on things that I thought were wrong with my body. But nowadays, this is a uh, something that I try to do. And definitely something that I did in the early stages of recovery, I would channel someone who was maybe more confident than myself. Or maybe I would channel, you know, my alter ego who is confident and who who knows what she deserves and knows how worthy she is. For me personally, I would channel Lena Dunham in her green bikini. And for those of you who don't understand that reference, On the HBO show Girls, there was an episode, I believe in season three, when Lena Dunham and all her friends go to the North Fork for the weekend, which is on Long Island for you non-New Yorkers. And it's, it's a beach town. And in the very beginning of the weekend, she's wearing this green bikini in the pool. And for the rest of the episode, she keeps on the green bikini. She goes to the grocery store in the green bikini. She comes back at night. They have a dance party. She's still wearing the green bikini. She probably slept in the green bikini. I They didn't show footage of that, but she probably did. And she just wears it all weekend. She's like, it's a beach town. I'm wearing my bikini and nobody else is wearing their bikini, but she doesn't give a fuck. She doesn't care what she looks like. And listen, Lena Dunham, especially at the time that Girls was on the air, Um, not in a particularly large body. I don't know if she's even plus-sized, but she definitely has a larger body than we typically see on TV. And I remember when that show was out, a lot of people would make fun of her, which I thought was really gross. But she also got praised a lot, for sure, because it's just not very common that we see a normal, healthy body on TV. Um, So she definitely got praise for that. And what I always loved about the show Girls is that they did have a lot of nudity, a fair amount of nudity, especially Lena Dunham. She was probably naked the most on the screen. And what I loved about it was it wasn't always sexualized. Sometimes they just showed her changing clothes and it wasn't in my viewpoint, it, it wasn't to show her as a sexual being or to be saucy in any way. It was just kind of to show a slice of life. Your body is not always sexualized and it doesn't always need to be sexualized. Sometimes we're naked just because we want to be naked or just because we're changing clothes or just because it's hot. That That's what I really loved about it. It was normalizing naked bodies in a way that wasn't sexual. Now, sometimes it was sexual. There were definitely sex scenes in that show, but I thought they did a really good job at that. And I, for one, loved the episode where she's in the green bikini just because it showed that she could be next to naked 
and not be self-conscious about it and kind of just be like, this is who I am. This is how my body looks. And I'm at the fucking beach, so I'm going to wear a bikini. I've said this before, but the concept of getting a bikini body is ridiculous. And if you find yourself thinking, oh, I need to get in shape for summer because I'm going to be at the beach, I'm going to be wearing my bikini, just know um, you don't. You actually could still wear a bikini even if you don't have abs or, you know, even if you have cellulite or whatever it is that you're concerned about. Trust me, no one's the wiser at the beach. No one will even bat an eye at your perceived imperfections. And I actually got a DM from somebody asking if I could talk about body dysmorphia and if I've ever experienced body dysmorphia. To be completely honest, and I I said this to this woman, I've never fully understood body dysmorphia and I never really understood how it was different than just having negative body image in general or thinking that you have certain flaws or certain imperfections. So I had to do some research to figure out how exactly it works and what exactly the difference is. And I, I know that I have experienced body dysmorphia. I know that that is something that I've struggled with. There are certain areas on my body that I have obsessed about over the past and just thought were so wrong and really was extremely self-conscious to the point of not being able to wear certain clothes, thinking that other people were judging me for those areas when they probably weren't. For me, my two main areas have always been my stomach and my arms. I just always thought they were really unattractive and really flabby. And it's funny because earlier this year, I ran into a friend. I was uh, in the city. I ran into a friend and she offhandedly said, wow, your arms are always so, they always look so good. They always look so toned and I'm always self-conscious wearing tank tops, but then I see you and like your arms look so good. It's so, it struck me so much because I am so self-conscious about my arms. I have never liked my arms. I always thought they were too big, too muscular. I thought my shoulders were too big. I thought my arms were too flabby. And it's just funny to put into perspective the fact that nobody notices most of the things that you notice. And even if they do, Everything is subjective, right? So some people might think your arms are too big and who the fuck cares what they think? Because then other people think they're wonderful and they're awesome. You're not going to be able to please everyone. So you have to please yourself, okay? As the classic song, Garden Party, goes, you can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. Great song. You should listen to that song and channel that If you don't want to channel Lena Dunham's Green Bikini, you can just channel that song. Just let that song be your theme song. You can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. So anyway, this is what I learned about body dysmorphia. It's not simply thinking that you have a flaw because most of us at some point have thought that we had some kind of flaw or imperfection on our body. Body dysmorphia is obsessing over your perceived flaws and suffering anxiety or intrusive thoughts that make it hard to go about your life. So if you find yourself not wanting to go hang out with your friends because you think that you're too bloated and your stomach looks too big or not wanting to attend a family function because you think that people are going to be judging you based on the way you look or finding yourself looking in the mirror and just picking yourself apart and just always focusing on these areas. It's the obsessive thoughts that differentiate body dysmorphia from just general bad body image. I read a statistic online that one in 50 people suffer from body dysmorphia. I would estimate it's probably much higher than that. I don't know how they gather those numbers or if it's survey-based or whatever, but I would think that many people have suffered from this. It's nothing to be ashamed of, and it's something that's very hard to understand, as it was for me. For the remainder of this podcast, I wanted to issue a trigger warning. And this is not something I normally do. And I know that I talk about some heavy stuff on this podcast. 
But I wanted to just let everybody know if you are currently suffering from an eating disorder or if you just don't feel like you're in a good place mentally today, maybe save this podcast for when you're in a better place. Because I have a conversation on this episode with my good friend who suffered from bulimia. And we do go into detail about the binge purge cycle and certain methods that we used. I don't want anybody to be triggered by that or maybe even use that as a suggestion for how they should go about their eating disorder. I never want this to accidentally be like a how to have an eating disorder. So I will say that the binge purge cycle is a very real thing. It's something that is pretty foolproof. If you find yourself overeating, if you find yourself binge eating, even if you don't purge, it always starts with restriction. Always, always, always. If you consider yourself to be an emotional eater or an overeater or a binger, I can guarantee you your actual problem is restriction. Even if you're not actively restricting your food or staying under a certain calorie intake, if you are telling yourself that you are bad for eating certain foods or, oh, I really shouldn't be eating this much, but I can't help it. If you go in with that negative mindset, that actually is mental restriction and it can cause a lot of stress and anxiety that will then lead to a binge. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I can't relate to the bulimia stuff, I can't relate to the anorexia stuff, but I can relate to binging and I I do find myself overeating and I feel terrible about it. The first step for you is going to be uh, eliminating that restriction including the mental restriction, not telling yourself that you can't have something, not limiting yourself in any way because that's only going to make you feel worse and that's only going to lead to overeating and you're going to perpetuate that cycle. So that's what we want to break. And on that note, I would love to introduce you guys to my guest today. Her name is Jessie Jollis. She is a comedian and a good friend of mine. She struggled with an eating disorder throughout her childhood and into her adulthood and is so well-spoken about it. We bonded almost instantly about our shared experiences with eating disorders. It's something that we connected on. And um, Jessie is just a breath of fresh air. She talks about this stuff with such an ease and a sense of humor that I really appreciate. And I try to do that as well. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Jesse Jollis. Okay, guys, my guest today is one of my favorites. She's a comedian, comedy writer, and she's the co-host of the Middle Children podcast with friend of the podcast, Chris Burns. Welcome, Jesse Jollis. Thank you so much. Thrilled to be here. Oh, thrilled to have you. You and I have spoken before. Actually, I think it was the first time we ever met. We were on another podcast talking about eating disorders. Yeah. And we've really bonded like in that short hour because when I talk about this stuff with people who actually experienced it, it just like bonds you so instantaneously learning that we all go through the same shit. Um, so I guess for the listeners, I would love to hear about your history with disordered eating and, and growing up, how early did it start? Yeah. I also say, I always say that people who have eating disorders, like, or have had it, you can see color and like everybody else is color blind. So like when you know that someone else can see color, you're just like, you're just able to speak in a language that sort of other people don't get. But like for you guys, it's just so clear the sky is blue. You know what I mean? Yes. You're just like, oh, okay. Like I don't have to explain this other thing and I don't feel so alien. Yeah, exactly. So I, I do think it is like an understanding, like you're saying, in such a language. But I think I started with disordered eating or like food was the enemy I was like of course you know a chubby kid as you are Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so from that I just remember at like a young age it being like uh if you lose 10 pounds like that would be really good and then we'll really celebrate and I was like interesting and then I went to sleepaway camp and my dad was like 
you were unrecognizable when you got off the bus. You <laughs> gained so much weight, <laughs> which part of that is because no one was telling me I could and couldn't eat seven brownies. So I did make that a could and I did eat seven brownies. Um, some people would be amazed by that. I think it's pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, so it was always like, I guess, in the back of my head. And then I guess I, whatever, was continuing to struggle a little bit with eating. And then and then my brother, uh, freshman year of high school, lost a lot of weight. And it was like this really big deal. So I was like, okay, like, I guess, I mean, I could do that too. I'm a middle child, so I'm seeking attention. I'm just like, how can I please mm-hmm. people? So then I, I made the soccer team and I just was... I just, I guess, was like, okay, I'm going to eat less or just monitor what I'm eating. And I did start, like, a food diary, which is, I I have read a few times on stage and such, which is the saddest diary. It started okay. I mean, it just started with, like, tracking. And, like, yeah. I would write mean things to myself as, like, quote, motivation, you know? Um, oh, ooh, like it was what? Nasty. You know, just, like, um... Like, I mean, it could be like, uh, you know, you like you went to gym and like this guy didn't look at you. Just like remember how you feel and like keep going or like, you know, you're fat and ugly. Just sort of like pep talks. (laughs) Motivation. (laughs) Motivation, if you will. Negative Um, reinforcement. (laughs) That's right. It really was truly a very mean diary. I don't recommend anybody write or read. But that's like how I, I guess like my, you know, it's like a weird brain trick, which was like my secret diary, which I'll start writing down things I'm eating and I'm going to start like tracking. Like I started obsessively weighing myself like constantly because I was so obsessed with the idea of getting this number down to a number that I thought was like presentable. So I did lose a lot of weight in high school and then, um, it was like keeping it off and also with everyone being like, Oh my God, you look so good now being like, I can't ever gain it back. Like I'll, this is, that would be really bad, you know? Yeah. And, and when family says that to you, it's kind of like, or when family used to say that to me, I would always think like, all right, well, clearly they all thought I was disgusting before yeah, and weren't saying anything, you know, cause nobody ever, would say anything but you know you would pick up on vibes and then finally when you lost weight people would always comment on it yeah exactly or sometimes like you know I still have to work with certain people on this but you know I go shopping and be like oh I know it can be really hard to shop when you don't feel good about yourself and I'd be like I didn't know I wasn't feeling good about myself (laughs) until right now um You know, like, so it was just a lot of that sort of reinforcement that then, you know, essentially uh, somebody, I think, sort of teaches you that voice inside your head. And then it grows and becomes this thing that you can't control and begins like dictating your life, essentially. So um, in high school, I had a fear of gaining the weight back and I continued on like the dating diary or the uh, diet diary with myself when I would, you know weigh myself and go up like 10 pounds it'd be like okay absolutely not we need to go back on this whatever binge and so I started controlling my eating then and then in college I started um I started like binging and I was not purging then I couldn't I didn't know how to purge I like couldn't make myself do it So I started with like laxatives and diet pills and stuff like that. And then um, the diet pill thing is interesting. I never I never tried diet pills or or anything like over the counter or anything like that. Yeah. Um, And and, like I think I had always heard that they were like really dangerous. So I, I just like never even went there. But what exactly would they do to you like are, are they pumped full of caffeine so they would make like they would just suppress your appetite like do you know exactly what they did I truly do not know I think they did maybe suppress your appetite a little bit I remember feeling like sometimes my heart was like racing when I took it um but I also remember being like I don't care I just like it yeah. made me feel I think like more control and maybe like this would help you know, with urges and or 
if I did eat a lot being like, hopefully it can just like burn everything that's in my stomach and get it out. Like I always just wanted everything out, you know? Yeah. 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 And then at what point did you start purging? Because you did struggle with that too, right? Yeah. So then I moved to New York and I, um, I, I think like, honestly, I, no. Okay. It was in college. So in college, I, uh, lived with a girl who was very bulimic, like to the point where, I never feel like I've seen a ghost, but I truly think that she was a ghost. Like she would look possessed (laughs) and she, I lived in a sorority, which is like just a nightmare for anyone with eating disorders, but she would take like, yeah, she would take the tray of macaroni and cheese and she would be in like a trance. She wouldn't talk to anyone. And then she would go and like, it wasn't even a, you know, I think for myself, at least when I was starting to be bulimic, it's very secretive. And then you like kind of reach a point and it's not a good point. It's, I think if you're ever with a a bulimic person who isn't hiding it, it means that like everything has gone awry and like they are asking for help because you, this is too, it's, it's out in the open to a point where it's like very frightening, you know? Um, Yeah. Or they just, you know, don't care. It's gotten to a point where they, yeah, they don't care and they can't even, you know, hold it in until they get to a private place or or right. where people aren't around. Like I used to, I I used to throw up at work, like in the middle of the work day in the work bathroom, and it's right. like there's only one bathroom. Right. How how many times during the day could I possibly use the bathroom and make people wait for me and have them and not think that they would know what was going on? You know. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just. I think that's just when you're in the crisis mode because like. I, yeah. you're, you're even a little more careful, I think, when you, you, when you have the, 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 with like the ability to care about like sort of the way you're seen. And then there just becomes a point where you're like, it doesn't matter. And I don't care. And I dare you to say something to me. I mean, and, and I also got to that point. So I, I very much understand it, but I, I didn't at the time. So I saw that and I, and I saw, you know, her roommate sleeping in the living room because there were bags of vomit everywhere in her room. And oh, my God. And I would I, I think I used that as a way to understand the path, which is like, I see this person hurting. I want to see like, can you get this person help? Like, I'm worried I'm going down this path. Like, is there anything we can do? Like, what do you do with this person? You know? Yeah. And I pretty much watched almost everybody where it's like, we can't help. There's nothing we can do to help this person. And I, it just looked, it looked like, but I also saw her getting results. So there was a very sick part of me that was like, okay, but it is working, but no one can help you. But I think I'm going down this path anyway. So I, I don't know what else to do. Like the, I, I think I wanted to see that as a success story. Like I wanted to see someone loving in the house or, or somewhere, even my, you know, parent or whatever, be like, uh, we're going to get her help and everything's going to be okay. That way I could sort of say like, I actually think I might be, but that wasn't an option. But I remember that was where I started to be like, I have to figure out how to do this. So when I moved to New York, and I don't remember what was happening. Oh, I was working at MTV or something. And I was like, I'm going to figure out how to how to do this because uh, I just, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it felt like that's what I had to do or that's what I wanted to do because then I could lose weight quickly and easily and blah, 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 blah. And I um, would like dig a plunger into my stomach. And the way I even figured out how to do it is I watched the show Intervention. I don't know if you've <laughs> seen that show, but they would yeah. have... Yeah, they would have a classic instructional show truly on how to live your life. Honestly, though, I would watch that show and pick up tips like the people would tell you, this is what I do. These are like this is how I do. And I would be like, oh, oh, that's how you do it. That is wild, though. So I guess the subject of the episode that you were watching used a plunger like outwardly to make their stomach contract yeah it was like the girl um could like had done it so much that her gag reflex had like sort of you know gotten weaker I'm not sure so she had to start like digging things into her like stomach like if she did that so then I started doing that like I was like I see like I figured out a way for to do it from watching this girl girl's technique essentially and um 
I mean, I picked up a lot of tips from that show, whether it was like, um, you know, I, I don't even know if I should say because I don't want, I hope nobody. Well, the thing is, I've thought about, I know, I knew what the nature of this conversation yeah. was going to be like. So I'm going to have like a trigger warning oh, good, in the beginning. Good, good. So yeah. yeah, so you don't need to worry about it. Yeah, because I think about that all the time, too, because like at the same, I, I, I would like to um, tell my story for lack of a better phrase and mm-hmm. like di- you know explain how how truly how bad it got and how right. dangerous it is to go down that path but at the same time I don't want it to be triggering for people and I don't want people to hear the way that you did th- right exactly that are harmful as tips for them like that's the last thing I would ever want a hundred percent and I think that I know that at least when you're looking to get out when you hear that you're not alone because I do remember thinking like I was very alone and I don't know if any, even though I was picking up tips from other people, I felt like it was my secret that was just mine and like no one else probably felt the way I did or, or it was, you know, almost self-harming the way I was. So I, I'd like the idea of somebody who's maybe in a place of despair feeling like they're not alone and it, and that obviously it can get better. But if you are having these thoughts, like, just know there's a way to turn it around you know don't use this for tips because well you don't need me for tips I wasn't even that good at it to be honest (laughs) so (laughs) I'm really not the I'm not the one I I think you're not the gold standard I'm really not I was not I really truly was not that good at it like I was I did my I tried my best it worked in the sense of I think it's more just you know the roller coaster ride of the disorder which is you know it it just controls your every thought and anything you do and you know it's on your brain and you're either in one part of the cycle or another um totally well for me when I started purging um that actually made the binging much worse because I knew that I had that option so did you experience that too Totally. Because it was like well if I'm gonna if I'm gonna purge I might as well binge as much as I possibly can. Right. And like, won't that make it easier? I don't even know. I don't think I ever started binging as much as I did once I started purging. Yeah. So at that point you were living in New York. Yeah. Did you, uh, like, were you feeling isolated in New York? So it got worse or like what was going on in your life at that time yeah I think I was I mean I had a job I didn't like I certainly was struggling but I think it also was just a culmination of um you know I think that when you get out of school and there's no more path you have to figure out where to go and you can't get great you can't like please people with your grades it's like how do I get affirmation how do I successfully become a young adult um how do I feel pretty? How do I feel like I'm good enough? Cause I definitely don't feel like that. And then I had a lot of anger and, um, feelings towards my parents. And I, I, for me, a lot of the eating disorder had to do with, I never was able to use my voice. Like I almost, it was like a suppression thing. That's so much I couldn't say or do, or if I felt a certain way, I just kept so much inside, uh, that, when I was in recovery, I, that's essentially what I started to realize. It was almost like I was gagging myself at all times. Like I was never letting myself say anything I felt. Okay. And did you, um, did you ever speak to your parents about that? Yeah. Well, okay. So when I started, um, so at some, at some point in this whole thing, when it got just terrible and I was, you know, I had been fired from my job and I was a nanny because I really couldn't get up before noon at any day, but I could pick the hard kid up relate. At, yeah. I could pick him up at two or three, but you know, I, I'm not doing a morning shift. There's no, yeah. there's literally no way in hell. So, and then at that time, I think I finally, you know, told my mom, like, it is bad. It is bad. And I mean, there was just a part of me that was like, I just don't know how much longer I have with this life in me just yeah, like it, how much longer can you sustain it how, yeah it just feels like I'm not even I mean I was going through money like a maniac because I've just cared about feeding my addiction not you know my bank account and so I told her about that and we found a specialist in New York I started going to twice a week and she's a behavioral specialist so uh I essentially started working with her and started 
and I wanted help too. I remember when I went in, first of all, it felt like something I could do where it was like this thing I had had in me for so long. And I had gone to some counselors in college and I would say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about reaching my hand to my throat or I'm like, do, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm like, and they just say, well, just stop. Well, just don't do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like telling somebody, you know, who's depressed, just get over it. Yeah. Just think happy thoughts. Just smile and go outside. Yeah. That's so crazy. I, I mean, I've heard like horror stories about college guidance yes. counselors and therapists and like, oh. I, on the one hand, I'm happy they're there. Right. Uh, on the other hand, I feel like they have to probably see so many people that they can't actually give anybody the attention that they need. I mean, the fact there aren't uh, eating disorder specialists on every campus in the whole, con- I mean, is insane to me because that's, yeah. that's the breeding ground for it. I mean, that is where people talk about picking up tips and tricks. Uh, I mean, that is exactly where it's happening. And the binge drinking culture, it's all, I mean, it's just, the, they should be you know, armed with therapists ready to go yes. is what I think. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they don't, I mean, I remember going to, this is what's so funny. I was fighting for the girl in my house who was struggling partially because I wanted to know how my fight, I was just like how it feels like there's nowhere that I'll ever get better because if that's where I'm going. There's no mm-hmm. end in sight. So I remember going to the head of Greek life because it was like, we have this person and you're telling me there's no resources. There's nothing we can do. And I said to the person, I said, you're telling me somebody has to die for you to make a change, which is true. I mean, that's exactly what would need to happen for a school to take 100%. And that is a really horrible, sick, terrible thing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, gosh, do you, do you know whatever happened to that girl? I mean, I followed her on Facebook for a little bit after, and then I I don't know what happened, and I um I I do think she's you know alive. I I don't know what where she like what's happening. Um, yeah, alive and doing okay at least yeah. from the outward perspective. Right, uh, but I also knew yeah. for myself, me following her wasn't healthy for me. Like there was a weird. Um, I think I just I would. I was so scared, but I also had absolutely no way to help her. I was truly doing the exact same thing. So eventually yeah. it becomes like, what, what am I going to do, Jesse? I can't, he- yeah. I can't even help myself. How am I helping her? I mean, you can try and say these are resources, but I mean, ultimately I just, I was not, I could see it cause I'm not colorblind. I can see the color. I definitely know the tricks and the issues she's having. I just, I don't, have the tools yet to help and ultimately you can't help anybody else they have to want to help themselves exactly that's what I was going to say it's like uh, the sad fact of the matter is that many of us really do need to hit rock bottom yes to choose recovery and yes it seriously sucks because that means that you're gonna go through a lot of traumatizing stuff along the way but in a way that's almost better than if somebody's forced into it and then yes. doesn't really commit to recovery and then maybe they're dealing with it again and again totally. for their whole life. Totally. It's, I mean, so it's, how, no, go ahead. Or I was going to say it, it's very similar to an alcoholic. I, I think like, except for the idea that if you told an alcoholic, um, you're just going to have, you know, three, three drinks a day, uh, you know, and then that's it. You're right. just going to, three one here one here one here I know it's your vice and the thing that you choose to abuse uh but you're gonna have a healthy relationship with okay because you need it to survive it's like it's a very difficult relationship uh but any alcoholic will tell you until they're ready I just you can't you can't make that switch yeah 100 percent. so then when you were seeing the therapist yeah how long did that process take until you considered yourself recovered or do you consider yourself recovered or do you say you're in recovery uh I do I guess I do consider myself recovered now I think for me I sort of loved how my therapist I mean she was just the right therapist for me you know she was the right fit the right 
the way she would go through everything was I really liked it. So I remember even the first step, it was like, okay, you're going to write down what you eat or whatever, how you feel after, which I did. I Uh, had to do the same thing. Yeah, I had to do the same exact thing. I always tell people like CBT, you don't know about it until you're actually in it, but it's a great thing. Everybody should know about it. Yeah. And, you know, learned about the cycle. And then I just remember sort of the first thing she we did she was like okay so you know and write down when you binge and write down when you purge and then she was like okay um like now you're the first thing we're gonna stop is like the the purging um that's the harmful that's what sort of begins the cycle so like you're gonna stop purging it's bad for you it doesn't make you lose weight you know the cat it's all that stuff and then it's like and uh, but you're still allowed to binge. And I remember being like, uh, cause the purging is what I, I knew was terrible for me. I knew had taken over my life. I knew was, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, I would have bruises on my stomach. I'd have bloodshot. I mean, it just, I was like, this is definitely, there's no one who could tell me this is good. I know that this is very, yeah. and I remember just being yeah, like, it's not like purging gave you glowing skin no. and like bright white <laughs> right. teeth. It, the, uh, right. So, and I remember thinking I liked how it was only half of the cycle. Like it wasn't immediately where you can't do any of it. It's like, you're just going to take away that, the really, the purging because then you're going to be like purging free. And that's like a, a th- like a, an alcoholic saying like th- he hasn't touched a drink is what I the way I sort of saw it, which is like, okay, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm not going to purge. Like, I'm not going to do it. Once I say I'm not going to do it, like, I really don't want to do it. And I remember the first time you binge and you're like, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm yeah. I, like, like, I can't do anything about this. Yeah. It's going to be fine. I have to get through these like 30 minutes, you know, and just sit with it like nothing bad's gonna happen I'm not gonna look different in the morning like it's not gonna hurt my body and I remember uh before that I was always afraid to be at home by myself I was always afraid to be with my own thoughts which is one reason I even got into comedy which was like okay I work during the day and then at night I'm busy 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 I should hopefully just come home and you know go to bed I mean there was always it became binging purging but I just remember being like never try never to be alone and try never to be you know by yourself just be busy that you won't have because you can't be trusted yeah you can't be trusted you won't have time to think about it yeah so that was I just remember having to sit with some of it and then also realizing like the next day like yeah I am okay I'm fine. Everything yeah. is fine. If anything, I feel better in the morning because, you know, I haven't drained myself of every nutrient in my body. Um, and, you know, we came up with tactics of like, what are things I can do that will help me, you know, relax and like fill my time. I got a cat during that time, which was really wonderful for me. Um, do you feel like having a pet helped you? Cause I've yes. heard that from multiple people. Yes. A hundred percent. Uh, cause I wasn't alone. And, mm-hmm. you know, a cat watching you, uh, whether it's binge or purge, <laughs> it's just a lot more humbling. You know, this little thing looking at you like, are you OK? And you're like, I yeah. don't think this is good. I'm yeah, it just is different. Meanwhile, you're doing everything you can to like nourish this right. animal and yeah. treat it right and make sure it's healthy. So maybe that translates to yourself a little bit. Right, exactly. And you just sort of feel responsible for something that you weren't before. So uh, she really helped me a lot. That's amazing. Wow. I I I love her. I recommend her for anyone who's (laughs) struggling. I'm I'm also curious about dating because you talk a lot about the nightmare that is dating. Um, And (laughs) I'm I'm curious, in your recovery, were Mm. you trying to date people and did that derail you at all or did you have like insecurities about that while you were going through recovery yeah first of all have insecurities (laughs) still have them (laughs) still have them um yes so uh before when I was like having the any issues um any guy I dated that then it wouldn't work out I would immediately blame myself uh, and my body and that's why it happened and I'm the problem and you know exactly why Jesse he doesn't want to see you like yeah it just became the absolute 
catalyst to disaster. Like, and if a guy really liked me, I'd be like, you're fucking psycho. I mean, it didn't matter what he said. He could have been perfect. He could have been the worst. Uh, He was going to cause me a, a problem just by observing me and being with me. I, it was really bad. So before yeah. I got help, men or dating was a huge issue for me in um, my bo- in liking my body. And so when I was in recovery with my therapist, I essentially took dating off the table. Like I, I really felt like, and I told her, like I felt like I was balancing a tray of food, which was just my life and eating. And when I put mm-hmm. a, a guy on it, it was like, there was just no, I can't, I, I like just felt like my tray wasn't balanced. I couldn't put something on yet that had weight to it. I just couldn't because yeah. it would just cause me such anxiety and, and I would always go inward with blaming myself. I just, I wasn't stable enough to do it. I think you have to date with a shield on being like, if you like me, great. If you don't not like, this is my, these are my boundaries, take it or leave it. Totally. And it's hard for any young person to be, um, you know, thrown into the world of dating and not knowing what they're doing. And like constantly, you're constantly second guessing yourself and thinking like, does this person like me? Do they hate me? Do they, are they going to text me back? Are they not? So you throw all these insecurities and, and like not feeling right with yourself on top of that. And it could send you into a tailspin. I think like that's totally the right move. But I, I wonder, so you came up with that yourself. You thought like that would be much better for me to just eliminate dating from my world for now until I'm recovered or did your therapist suggest it? Um, well, I think I had, I was just, as I was going to my therapist, also sort of in the middle of a breakup with someone who told me that his, his ex-girlfriend had had an eating disorder and he'll never date a girl with an eating disorder again. As I'm sitting there next to him with a full blown eating disorder, like absolutely really cute. That's a great idea. And and actually also also (laughs) good luck dating women. Yeah, I know. Also what a horrific thing to say. I mean, I can't even, but also I put, I was putting myself, I mean, talk about just like you know, when the secret is so big, I was just like, well, I can never tell him this huge thing about me. Um, Oh, that's healthy. Really healthy. So I remember (laughs) when that was happening and I was losing him as my friend and, you know, whatever, uh, just being like, cause he was causing me a lot of the stress this huge secret I'm keeping and like having to, to hide it. And, and, um, I just think that even after that, maybe I did try to date like whatever, a few people. And then I I just every time it would be like, this is 100 percent sabotaging anything. Anytime I'm feeling better, I'm I'm just I can't. I yeah, I just remember being like, I I need to focus 100 percent on like eating and feeling good. And I do not have the energy to give it to 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 something that I have no control over. And, you know, I just so, yeah, I I really took it off the table for, I mean, at least a year. Oh, okay. So then at what point, how did you know that you were ready to to go back in there again? Yeah. Well, I think at that point, like, you know, I hadn't purged for a very long time. I I you know what? It might have been longer than that, because then I started with (laughs) it was a long road. Uh, Then I started with like medication and from recovery and medication, I actually had gained a lot of weight. Um, what kind of medication? Like for anxiety or depression? depression? Yeah. Okay. I, I was on, I had tried a bunch of medications and it wasn't going well. So I had, I had, I was breaking out, you know, I gained a lot of weight. I just, I mean, I remember in recovery sort of being like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I obviously don't have a scale anymore, but I'm also not going to just, you know, criticize and look at myself every day. But then a, a part of me with that also got rid of the idea of monitoring myself in any way. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I ended up gaining just a lot of weight and not feeling good about myself and then trying to get on the right medication. And then when I did get on the right medication, then... um I don't know. It's very interesting. But when you go to therapy for something specific and then you can start making, you know, no more purging, no more binging. Um, I'm on the right. Like I make you can start making strides that when you get to sort of the end of it, the end of that road, you're like, oh, 
I think that there has to be another thing that I have to accomplish. And so that became like, oh, why don't you start dating again? That was something that would cause you to juggle your tray. Your tray is balanced now. So if something comes on that is too heavy, you know how to, you know, straighten it out hypothetically. Um, And dating still is something that normally, you know, is tr- I have just have to be careful and it can be triggering and you know f- having boundaries and all that stuff can can be hard but I, I think the more sort of boundaries and rules I have with dating the less my tray is vulnerable mm-hmm. so that do you find it yeah I'm sorry do you oh, no. find it hard to be around people friends family who like I'm talking now present day do you mm. find it hard or like challenging to be around people who are very who aren't on the same level as you who are like very steeped in diet culture maybe talking about their diet talking about their bodies like do you find yourself getting anxious or insecure or having like negative thoughts when you're around that energy well yes and all the good news about me and this recovery was I did develop my voice uh, in an aggressive way um so with my parents <laughs> it's very much like you are never to make a comment about my body ever are we understood if you do like I mean so my parents have guidelines yes. with me. yeah you know that and is amazing which not is, that's hard yeah. to do it's very hard to do, but it's that thing about boundaries again. So uh, remember, it's about your tray and protecting it. So with that stuff, it's like, I will come home and I will go on vacation, but this is what has to happen. And if it isn't happening, I'll excuse myself from the situation or I won't be able to come next year. The good news is for the most part, hopefully family wants to support you and wants to make you, you know, feel good, et cetera. I mean, my mother and I. And they want you to be there. Like the worst, the worst threat you can make to a parent is, you know, if this doesn't change, I'm going to have to not spend time with you anymore. A hundred percent. That's the worst thing you could say to a parent because they, all they want is to have their child in their life. Yes. And you might have to say it. There was a time I didn't go home and I said, I can't go home right now. It's not a safe space for me. And so. And then you tell them, this is how it can be a safe space for me. And these are the rules for me staying healthy. You want me to be healthy? Amazing. This is how you can help me. Um, And, you know, I have like, um, I have a, you know, sister, I guess my brother's girlfriend who sometimes does talk about, you know, food and exercise and all that and I normally will just excuse I mean excuse myself or not comment or um you know my sister also struggled and she is a you know fitness instructor and sort of goes that way um so I think a lot of recovered anorexics and stuff become fitness instructors yes um which I sometimes think is still just a control like I don't necessarily feel as though there could be a better recovery I think for them there's still like this yeah unbreakable thing which is like on vacation I still work out every day and you're like you see but that might not be healthy yes right just the fact that you feel you need to do it constantly it's that same fear of like I have to purge it's that thing that's like can we change this pattern and everything will be okay right and it's like no you cannot touch this pattern and so I think whenever there's like you cannot touch this this cannot change if it does I don't know what's gonna happen but yeah my world is gonna fall apart right and so that I never think is healthy so for a long time being around you know my sister who is struggling or uh that type of thing it it was just I had to be careful and I had to excuse myself a lot of times from the situation um and you know now it is to the point where it's much better and you know my family who I'm close with I'll say like I can't you know whatever whoever will leave and I'll say I'm not having a conversation like that again okay it doesn't make me feel good we're talking about organic lettuce for way too long okay can we talk about something else I beg of you you know yeah and there's something that might be more interesting (laughs) dinner table conversation we've got to have more in us I know we do (laughs) I know it like come on you know so I think that it's having those boundaries and having those situations and you know friends I think there are people that I realized oh this person sort of fueled my eating disorder as opposed to is helping the recovery like I have a lot of friends who just so happen to like 
I mean, I always found it refreshing. I who just can't see color, you know, who like, yeah. oh, I eat when I'm hungry. You know, they just have this healthy view with food. Who it's I so lo- incredible when you meet. Pe- oh. I love being around people like that. I love it's it amazing. so much. I and you know, like I said, I love being around people who have uh, history with disordered eating too, because because like I relate to them, but I also just love like. Oh, like it just you feel like there's a weight lifted off your shoulder like you're not going to have to listen to this person obsessing about what they're putting in their body they just live life and like are yes. carefree and exactly the type of person I always wanted to be because that's the thing I think if you're with someone who's recovered that person isn't going to talk about like oh I shouldn't eat this or how much is in this right and the same thing with someone who doesn't notice they're not going to talk yeah it's the people that are talking about it that are causing like I don't want that dialogue back in my head so I don't want to hear it right now at the table you know that's a voice I've silenced so I don't don't want to hear it um and I do think that I I love that I love that what you said about finding your voice like I think that's so important because I think these can be really awkward conversations to have it can be really hard to say to especially with parents I, I think with probably with friends or fam any family member it's awkward but with parents it's like you know that they just want the best for you and and obviously you appreciate every good thing they've ever done for you so drawing a line in the sand and being like hey you make me feel really shitty when you say this stuff can you not say this stuff anymore it's it's just like it's out of a lot of people's comfort zones yes and I do think there's like it's the presentation, right? It's the presentation and sort of the way you're coming into it, which is like something I always do to any, any situation I'm having that's not going well. I always think it's good to start with like, um, Emily, can you help me with something? And the person's, oh, you're all, yeah, sure. What's up? Right. You're disarmed. It's like, Oh my God, thanks for coming to me. Of course. And it's like, I'm noticing that when, when you talk about food, it, it brings up like some really hard, uncomfortable feelings. And, and I, I notice that, you know, my anxiety, I know it's not healthy for, for me. So, um, it would really help me if, if when I'm around you, you just maybe didn't talk about it. Oh my God. Yeah, girl. No problem. Right. It's like, Oh, I can't believe I can help you that way. What a gift (laughs) I will give you, you know, as opposed, that's kind of like a, a, how to win friends and influence people type of way to go about it. Like, like, Hey, we care about each other. Like this would be great if you could do this for me. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, because by the way, you know, this came from I was very angry when I was in recovery at my parents and any I mean, I had a lot of anger. So a lot of times the way I said it was like, you know, I think, you know, along the lines of like, you did this to me, Um, Mm. you know, as you as you do. Yeah. And so it would be like, this is what I'm talking about. You can't say this is hard for anyone to accept because now I'm accusing you of so I mean it's hard for everyone I can't imagine and I I hope I won't have to but I have a feeling that you know if I have a daughter one day you know I'll try to do my best but I could in- accidentally cause her and she could be mad at me and that's fine but you know the best thing you can do is say how can I help and then yeah. how can we work together to get you know to move to be able to help each other so ultimately the people love you and and you know instead of coming at it with anger, I think it's really good to come at it with, I know you're my support system and that's why I'm telling you this because I know you have my back and these are the things that happen that make me in a, uh, that make me spiral. I know you don't want that for me. So what can we do that that doesn't happen? Yes. Listeners at home, um, I hope you're taking notes because I've gotten (laughs) questions about I've gotten questions about like how do I approach a family member Mm -hmm. and I actually a few episodes ago I read an email that I had to dig like deep in my emails to find it but I had written my father an email saying like pretty much that like pretty much like this is really hard for me to say, but whenever I go to your house, like it just seems like all the conversations are about like what we shouldn't be eating and, and like, you know, meal times and all this stuff. And it's really brings up bad things for me. And, you know, he responded in a really nice way. Like that was, um, I think he, he didn't, he still doesn't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Right. But you don't need to make them understand color the only blind. thing that they need to, un- they're colorblind. He's right. colorblind. So he like is. the only thing 
that he needs to understand is that this is what I need to, right. to in order to feel good and, and to be healthy. Yes. A hundred percent. That that's all that's all anybody needs. That's all she wrote. To understand that. And how do you communicate? <laughs> that's all she wrote. How yeah. do you communicate that clearly even, you know? Yeah. I think also um, when when you're recovering, I remember when it was the secret, my therapist said this in a way that really helped me, which is like when you first are telling people that you have an eating disorder, you know, or you're in recovery, it feels like you're just, it's like this shame and this, you're horrible. Yeah. You feel terrible. And my therapist would tell me, she's like, it's like you have cancer. It's a fact. It's diabetes. I, I have diabetes and that means I can't have sugar at your house. Like, it's like, I have this thing, which means we can't talk about that. That's all it is. Like we're giving it way too much power where it's like, you're going to tell them this fact and then what that fact means and how they can help you, you know, instead of building it up and, and, oh, how are they going to look at me? What are they going to say? What, what, you know, are they going to think I'm being dramatic? Of right. It's, you know, we, we put all these labels on it that are very negative when really it's just a fact. And I mean, I still, you still have to do that with dating, which is something that like, you know, every time you have to figure out whether it's so hard. It's so hard. I remember like, uh, I think it was like maybe the third date with my, my now boyfriend Mm -hmm. that I was like, um, yeah, well I, and I don't even, it came up like so organically. I was like, okay, well now I have to say something. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't say something now, then it's like, I'm keeping a secret. So I was like, yeah, you know, this, I, I struggled for a really long time, um, with an eating disorder. And so now I just, you know, I don't play by any of those rules. I think I said something like, kind of like that. Um, yeah. and just the way he was just so automatically understanding and automatically like oh yeah we all go through shit like totally it put things into perspective so much for me that like why did I ever worry that this was gonna be like this huge thing it's not like it it could be a huge thing if I was still in that place for sure Mm -hmm. but I don't think that we should um, tile this shame to it I think we should be talking about it more because the people who care about us are gonna accept it Totally. And it doesn't mean, uh, you know, it's like anybody just telling you about something they've gone through in their past, a trauma, whatever. It's like, this is a fact about me. Um, You can ask questions and you can absolutely, you know, I'll obviously tell you boundaries and things I need, um, but it's not up for discussion either like and if if it does feel like that, what you've just learned is that this person isn't going to be healthy for your recovery. Because the way your boyfriend acted, which is like, okay, like, is exactly what is healthy to continue with. And anything other than that is just a great, um, you know, sort of push out the door, which is like, great. If he's questioning things or if there's anything that I start to feel uncomfortable, I don't. And I, by the way, it's, I mean, I've truly have never encountered that with any sort of reaction. But I think that just knowing if there is any issue not a problem. I'm out the door. Like, yeah. My safety is first and this is my safety, my recovery. Yeah. That's another boundary, baby. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So well said. Um, we got to wrap up, but thank you so much for coming on. My I think pleasure. it's so helpful to hear from people who actually like were in the trenches and had to yes. dig their way out because it's, it's such a hard thing. Yeah. And, uh, and mazel tov to you and your recovery. So where can people find you and follow <laughs> thank you? Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, you can follow my dating journey um, at No Such Thing as Love, the podcast. I also do Middle Children, the podcast with Chris Burns, where we talk about growing up and all that. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jesse Jollis, J-E-S-S-I-E-J-O-L-L-E-S. All right. I hope you liked that conversation with Jesse Jollis. Jesse is a hilarious human being. You should definitely follow her on Instagram. She is at Jesse Jollis and listen to her podcast. She is just brilliant and and so well spoken about this stuff. You can really tell that she's done the work. When you do the work, it pays off. I don't know how many times I need to tell you this, but I'm going to keep telling it to you because I know that I needed to hear it many, many times until it really resonated that 
on the other side, when you really do the work, when you really go through this process of intuitive eating and not restricting yourself, it will pay off in spades and you will finally get to a place where food does not control you anymore and your own negative thoughts don't have power over you anymore. And it is such a wonderful place to be in. So I I wish that for every single one of you. Please, guys, continue to slide into my DMs. I am Lubination on Instagram. That's L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. Fucking slide. Tell me what you think about the podcast. Tell me if there's anything you want me to discuss. Send me advice questions, what have you. You can also send me an email at ripdiets at gmail.com. And... If you would like to be a part of the community of mourners, we have a private Facebook group called RIP Dieters. You can search that on Facebook, request to be added, and you're in, baby. Just promise to keep it a safe space, free of negativity and free of diet culture mentality. I will be back next week with another episode. Over and out. garden party reminisce with my old friend a chance to share old memories play songs again when I got to the garden party they all knew my name no one recognized me I didn't look the same but it's alright now well, see you can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. People came from miles around, everyone was there. Yoko brought a walrus, there was magic in the air. Over in the corner, much to my surprise. Mr. Hughes hid in Dylan's shoes, wearing his disguise. But it's all right now. Learn my lesson well. See, you can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. La da da. La da da da.